0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. How's this for stating the obvious? There are far fewer women conductors than there are men. However, the times they are changing, women are cracking that glass ceiling. And while the percentage is still small, their success only serves to encourage other women to pick up the baton. One of those women is my guest today. Kalina Bovell is assistant conductor of the Memphis Symphony. She made her unofficial conducting debut in 2019 at the performance by Tony and Grammy Award winner Leslie Odom Jr. of Hamilton fame. And by the way, as of 2019, Kalina was the only African, American, and Hispanic conductor in the United States. She has an impressive resume. In 2018, Kalina was music director, Civic Orchestra of New Haven. During the 2016-17 season, she was the assistant conductor of the Chicago Sinfoniera, making her professional debut during the Martin Luther King Tribute Concerts. She's also served as assistant conductor with both the St. Louis and Hartford Symphonies, Education plays an important role in Kalina's professional life and includes her four years as the orchestra director at the Loomis School in Windsor, Connecticut, as well as assistant conductor of the Orange County California Youth Symphony Orchestra. She did that for two seasons. She was also the assistant conductor and strings coach for the Prelude Youth Orchestras, an organization dedicated to providing the orchestral experience to students in elementary and middle schools. So let's meet and get to know Kalina Bovell. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Memphis today. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here this morning, actually this afternoon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kalina. When you were a little kid, did you pick up a baton and pretend that you were conducting a made up orchestra? Oh,
1: heavens no. I didn't know what like conducting was or what orchestra was until, honestly, I got to college. So where does this interest in music come from? Um, so my interest in music honestly was by accident. You know, So when I was nine years old in elementary school, music was a big part of the curriculum. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember my brother used to play the accordion which he probably does not want me telling people because back then accordion was not cool. It's probably not still not sexy, cool. right, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he wanted to play the, uh, the saxophone, but it was like, no, here's an accordion. But I remember looking at my big brother and thinking, oh, cool, when I get to his age, I get to do music. So when I was nine years old, I was in third grade and we had a choir program. And so the choir teacher would go around to every single classroom and pull every kid out and say, here, sing this note. And if you could hold the pitch, then she would say, oh, hey, cool. You're going to be in choir. And so she came to my classroom, said, sing this note. And I could hold a tone. And I remember thinking, oh, I never knew that I could sing. Mm. Because I actually never had an interest in music whatsoever. I mean, I was a kid who was a big tomboy. So I wanted to be like my big brother. You know, Uh like I would play with all the transformers and the the robots and the cars and whatever. But I was never once curious about
0: music. Uh Uh-huh. That's interesting. But even so, nine years old is not that old to have, mm-hmm. n- not to have a relationship with music, per se. I mean, was music played in your household? So
1: I don't remember music playing in the household that often. I mean, the the, the people I do remember was Al Green, Anita Baker. Oh, um, sure. Sade, you know, I, yeah. I remember them playing, but I don't remember music being such a huge part of my life. And so it actually wasn't until I discovered I could sing that all of a sudden I became so curious about it. And I was listening to music all the time. So all of a sudden it was kind of like, what is this? Now I want to learn more about this. So when I would ride in the car with my mom, I'd be like, oh, who's playing on the radio? And I would turn it up and the same with my dad. So it was kind of like my discovering I could sing was the catalyst for discovering or for igniting my curiosity for music. Oh, I thought I was gonna be a singer. I mean, through and through my friends and I started a singing group uh, in elementary school. We called ourselves Flavor Diamond. I really wish we, we thought that name. But we used to write that our own song. Flavor Diamond? Flavor Diamond. Where's that come from? I have no idea. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> catchy. Oh, yeah. There were There were three of us. And so we would write our own songs. We would make our own choreography. Uh, and as we got into fourth and fifth grade, we used to go around to every single classroom and perform our songs, do our choreography. And that continued into middle school. That's but when impressive. I got in... I mean, we, we were all serious. And I just kind of thought, this is what I want to do. I want to sing, I'm going to be a singer. And so when I got to middle school, and they registered me for all of my classes, I was like, excuse me, there, there's no choir on my schedule. And they said, well, that's because choir doesn't fit into your schedule. So we put you in the beginning strings class. And I said, well, that's great, but I'm a singer. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't do strings. I sing Mm -hmm. Uh, beginning uh, was a choir did not work out. Um, So I was in this beginning strings class in sixth grade. And that's how I eventually came to playing violin, you know, because the teacher asked every student kind of like the choir teacher did. He went around and said, what do you want to play? And my thing was coming from my family. We didn't know anything about orchestras or string instruments. So I was very kind of ignorant, so to speak, to this whole different world. So when the teacher got to me, you know, I very proudly stood up and I said, I want to play the flute.
0: Mm -hmm. And he
1: looked at me and he's like, what are you an idiot? Go get a violin. And that's kind of how my, my journey for violin started.
0: What is so terrible about playing the flute? What's so pejorative about that?
1: Nothing terrible. I think it was the fact that I wanted to play flute in a strings class. And that wasn't one of the instruments being
0: offered. Uh Uh-huh. But the interesting thing is it's a little like a, a dictatorial. You were just told, you know, you're picking up a violin and, uh, and like it, right?
1: Well, pretty much. I mean, that that was kind of just what it was. But the thing about it was, I remember the first time we actually got to play the instruments for the first time, and the first time I made a sound. And I thought, okay, no, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Did you know how to read
0: music before
1: you took up the violin? I did not. So you were taught that as well? Yeah, because everything in choir was you were learning by rote, so it was more aural. Than right. anything. Um, right. And so in the beginning strings class, it was let's learn to read music, let's learn the race, the basics, let's learn the foundation. And so that really is where my musical journey in terms of reading and like learning the beginning techniques started. And did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I was that kid where, yeah, I'll put it to you this way, usually people have to yell at their kids to practice. <laughs> my parents used to yell at me to stop practicing.
0: So you put the singing off to the side and you were okay with that to focus on orchestra?
1: I was because there was something about violin that really called to me. You know, I don't don't know what it was, but I could just not put my violin down and I never wanted to, you know, Mm -hmm. because I just thought there's something about this instrument that does sound like the voice to me. And you could make so many beautiful sounds and you can do so many unique things. And also violin and the string world was another concept That was new to me. So something about it just kind of sparked my curiosity even more. Mm -hmm. And so I never stopped singing, but just my focus changed. Mm -hmm. I just want to learn as much as I can about violin. And my teacher at the time, um, he's passed on now. But, you know, I remember him telling my parents, your child is really gifted. And he was, you know, he said, don't make her stop. Whatever you do, don't let Mm -hmm. her stop. But my journey for violin was very interesting um, because I was seven years self-taught. So, you know, most kids will start playing a string instrument when they're three or four years old. Um, I started when I was 11. I didn't have my first private lesson until I was 18. So that was going into university. Here I am seven years behind compared to all of my other colleagues. But I was just so determined because I loved violin so much.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Did you assumed that you were going to major in music when it was time to apply to college?
1: I knew that I was gonna major in music a year after playing violin. Hmm. Wow. You know, I was I was kind of like, I'm gonna be the person who's selling out Carnegie, who's soloing <laughs> in front of New York Phil. I'm gonna be that person that did not work out, (laughs) but that's okay. But I knew that, you know, even though I was so behind in terms of skill and technique, I knew that I was going to be a musician and I knew that I was going to be a music major. It was just a matter of putting in the work to get there.
0: You know, I say this practically every conversation, but only because it's true. Whatever you had in you, It's a very strong sense of self, even though people were saying you're going to pick up the violin or you're going to do this or you're going to do that. You know, it was okay, fine. And you ran with it. So that speaks either solely for you or for your parents. I think I think it's a bit of both. You know, like my parents come from a
1: different country. um, And so growing up, education was kind of always at the forefront of everything they taught us and everything that we did. They're from Panama, um, and so I am first generation born in the states. And you can imagine how important education was for us being, for or at least for me being first generation born. It was, you know, being able to take part in so many of the opportunities that they would not be able to have right. in their country. And that was the main reason why my parents came here is because they wanted to give my brother and myself a chance at a better life. You mm-hmm. know, because the educational level in Panama is not as high, um, and then just even the job opportunities aren't as um, there aren't as many. And so that's, that's the main reason why my parents came here. And so I can always remember it was, oh, mommy, can I do this? No, go pick up a book, go read, (laughs) Mm -hmm. go, you know, go learn, go be curious. Um, So, you know, at first I never thought about being a musician because education was a thing that was driven into us. But once my parents started seeing how much I loved and was gravitating towards music, they kind of had no choice but to let me run
0: with it and just be supportive of it. Well, especially if we're talking about somebody with talent, you know, how do you put a stop to that and why would you want to? So it's time for college. Where did you go? So I went to a school called Chapman University
1: uh, in Orange County. California. Is that and you're from California, right? Yes, I was born and raised in Los
0: Angeles, California. Okay, uh, West
1: Coast is the best coast. Just putting it out there. Uh, <laughs> I
0: might go to the mat with you about that, but okay. <laughs> As an East Coaster, but that's all right. <laughs>
1: well, I went to school uh, called Chapman University. Our claim to fame was we were about twenty minutes from uh, from what was it, Disneyland? And so every weekend, people would go to Disneyland because it was the thing to do. Uh, my school was also known for the William Hall Chorale, um, which was conducted by Dr. William Hall. So a very famous chorale that toured everywhere and has sung everything. Um, But, you know, the thing about Chapman, it was, again, one of those kind of things I didn't know about, because coming out of high school, I'll be honest, I was not very well prepared for the next step in terms of colleges. So I didn't know about what schools to apply to, how to look for schools, what are some of the things you should be considering, finances, location, things of that nature. So I did what everyone else did. I applied to a couple of UCs and a couple of Cal States, and it was like, okay, we'll see what happens.
0: You didn't get any guidance
1: either at home or from the guidance counselors at school? No. I mean, having worked at Loomis Chafee, the the boarding school I was at for four years, I saw how different in Connecticut, I saw how different the guidance counseling was for my students because it was, they started sophomore year. It was, okay, these are your reach schools. These are your middle schools. These are the schools you're guaranteed to get into. And there was all of the support. There was all of this teaching. There was, you know, everything that these students needed. When I was going through high school, We had so many students and so little counselors, so there really wasn't any time to dedicate a full three years to, okay, let's plan your life. So really, when I got into senior year, it was kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Because I'm graduating in four months, and I don't know what I, I mean, I knew I wanted to do music, but I I didn't know the next steps and how to get there. And so when I applied to these Cal States and these UCLA's, it was kind of like, well, I'm doing this just to do this, but I don't really wanna go here. And I, I'll tell you what, I was extremely happy when I got those rejection emails or those rejection letters at the time, because I was like, great, I don't really wanna do this. Right, so this, right. this is fantastic. And to answer your second question about my parents, I mean, my both of my parents went to trade schools and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, what am I, how can my parents help me in researching for your colleges? Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. So you go through school and you're still playing violin. How did you get into the musical world? Into the musical world of
1: conducting. Oh, well, I mean,
0: you didn't start off wanting to be a conductor, like you said. So you assumed, I guess, with my putting words in your mouth, that you would be part of an orchestra as Mm -hmm. a maybe first violinist or whatever.
1: Oh, of course. You know, so. What's interesting is my journey as a violinist when I got into undergrad was really difficult. Um, I was very behind and I kept um, basically having injuries. So I went into undergrad with shoulder tendinitis mm. um, and then later developed tendinitis in both of my forearms as well as my wrists. So I would be the person in rehearsal, I would play and then I would take out my ice packs and people would just you know see me putting ice packs on both of my wrists. And then during our breaks, I would take out the, the wraps like the, the heating pad wraps, yeah, and I would yeah. just wrap both of my both of my forearms. And that's what I did for the majority of my
0: freshman and sophomore year of undergrad. And then that just kind of evaporated. I mean, that's crazy to have all that kind of pain when you're playing the violin because you need your forearms and your shoulders. Exactly.
1: Imagine going to doctors and them saying, Oh, yes, you have to stop playing for six months, so it'll heal. And it being like, No, but this is my life. Mm. I can't stop playing for six months. Like, I need you to teach me how to play while either being in pain or how to play and not be in pain so really physical therapy became a very long part of my life um and i was going to physical therapy every i think it was once a week for about five to six months during my freshman sophomore year of undergrad and i eventually learned how to use my body correctly so that was a plan uh-huh
0: so you know, doing I also, it quite the right way Yeah,
1: well, exactly. And I think that also comes from being seven years self-taught. And I remember my very first teacher, you know, I would have lessons weekly and I would say, Taylor, my shoulder hurts when I play. And he could never say, well, I don't, I don't know what you're doing because I physically can't see. Mm-hmm. what you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: again, it was that lack of education in terms of physical awareness and in terms of how do I use my body in order to create the sounds I want without um, overdoing it. And what I was doing was overdoing it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Kalina, I also want to go in this direction for a little bit. I interviewed a woman named Afa Dworkin. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know who she is, yeah, uh, yeah. the head of the Sphinx organization that strives for diversity in classical music. I'm curious as to what the landscape looked like for you when you were playing the violin? Was it only you (laughs) sitting in the strings section?
1: I mean, it was pretty much only me when I got to undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe there were three of us when I started. There was me when I ended. (laughs) And I was an undergrad for five years because I was a music education major um, and then also did an education certificate. Mm -hmm. So just imagine going five years and just kind of saying there there's no one that looks like me. there's no yeah. role model. there's no support mm-hmm. system. And then other students of color that would come into the program, they would eventually come and go early. So I would always be like, "Oh, hey, a friend." And then you know again gone. it was just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah mm-hmm. How much did that factor into you? I never once thought about it. And I, I think that's because my first teacher was a black violin player mm-hmm. and he always surrounded me around other black violinists or other musicians of color. So it really never was this thing of, oh, there aren't many black people in mm-hmm. classical music because mm-hmm. I was seeing it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so once I got to undergrad and sure, I was the only one. It still didn't register for me because it was like, but I've I've seen musicians of color. They may not exist here, but I've seen them and Mm -hmm. I know that they do exist and I'm one myself.
0: Right. So you graduate and then what happens to you?
1: Oh, well, we should back up on how I discovered conducting because that actually happened during undergrad. So as a music education major, we all had to take a year of orchestral conducting. Uh, and I did that during my sophomore year. And, you know, it took about four weeks for learning the patterns. We're learning how to just look at a score, read a score, the different instruments. And I get on the podium for the first time. And, you know, I give this downbeat and all the sound is coming towards me. And I, was, <laughs> and I just remember thinking, OK, stop. What is this? Why has no one ever told me about this? Like, what's going on?
0: And again, it was, it was overwhelming. Kind of like, and it was also inspirational and
1: pretty much Uh and it was it was one of those things again where it was like how have I not discovered this and why has it taken me this many years of life to discover conducting and what conductors do and and how you can have a hand in shaping an orchestra and so Uh, kind of like the violin and kind of like music I remember thinking okay this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life
0: so you had a big epiphany
1: yeah Yeah, I I knew I was I knew all of a sudden that there was something about conducting that I couldn't let go. And there was something about it that I had to keep discovering. I had to keep searching. I just like I was just kind of like, I don't know what this is, but like it's calling me and I have to keep going and really figuring out what this is. And so I started auditing every conducting class. I was going to as many rehearsals as possible. I started taking lessons. I mean, I was serious about it. And I remember going to my conducting teacher at the time saying, I want to go to grad school for conducting. Mm-hmm. And before grad school for conducting was never on my radar for mm-hmm. me, it was I'm going to teach and that's going to be fantastic. I'm going to you know, teach at university. No, this was different. This was I want to go to grad school
0: mm-hmm. and I want
1: to be in the field. So you did. I went to the Hart School in Connecticut. Uh, based in West Hartford. But even that was a journey because after graduating from undergrad, I worked six jobs just trying to save up enough you know, money to get a plane ticket to go to grad school. And you did come east. <laughs> <laughs> I did come east. But do you know why I came east? I mean, there's there's people don't know this, but what I started noticing about music schools was that if you were serious, you had to go to the East Coast to go to music school because East Coast music schools produce people who did something, basically. I started, you know, from the West Coast, we're so chill, we're so relaxed, you know, but I was noticing that a lot of my friends didn't go to Aspen or they didn't go to Tanglewood or they didn't go to Juilliard or some of these big name institutions and and programs. But I noticed that my friends who went to school on the East Coast, they were doing these things. And so I said, if I wanna be and do those things, then I have to go East. And that was
0: my main reason for going to an East Coast school and what was that like was it okay did you make the transition pretty well it it was
1: amazing i mean the heart school was honestly my dream school to go to and it sounds so cliche but i mean i loved my time there i loved my teacher i mean we are honestly like teacher student colleague friend i mean it was the best decision i could
0: have i could have made for myself wow you didn't screw up much in terms of your trajectory. <laughs> for the most part, it doesn't seem like it was an awful slog.
1: There were obstacles along the way. You know, looking at me, a lot of people don't know that I struggled with depression for five years. So from the ages, I think, of 19 to 24, I was going to community college. And I missed a whole month of school. And nobody noticed that I was gone, which was really interesting, mm. you know. And that also added to the depression because you're kind of like, well, I don't exist. non invisible. So yeah. Yeah. But I also remember thinking, okay, I'm depressed, but I'm going to community college for music. And so music was the thing that got me out of bed every single day to learn about, you know, fundamentals and theory and all these different things. And so there were many obstacles along the way the the working six jobs, you know, it wasn't every day, Mm -hmm. but it was in a week. And it was, I'm trying to save up to do my first conducting workshop. I'm trying to save up, you know, to buy a plane ticket to go to grad school. I'm trying to save up to take conducting lessons, you know, because my parents didn't have the financial means to be able to say, sure, take all the money that you need Mm -hmm. to do what you need to do. They have always been supportive. But the one thing I learned very early on, very early on is if you want something, you have to work for it and you have to make the sacrifices because there aren't going to be people who can support you or who have the means to support you.
0: But you you didn't see you on the podium, but that didn't stop you
1: i never made it an issue meaning i never wanted people to see that i was a black
0: person on the podium doing conducting i don't mean only that i'm talking about gender as well
1: well yeah of course and and so that's the so i'll do this in two ways so even as a violin player i didn't see me right so there was there was regina carter who who is a jazz violinist i never played jazz and so coming up as a classical musician it was okay who are my role models? Again, I had my first teacher. I had the people that I used to play with who were other black musicians. But in terms of being in the professional world, who 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 did I have that looked like me? No one. And so for me at that time, it was I'm going to be the best player that I can be, hope, so hoping that I can be the role model for someone else. That didn't quite work out. That's okay. And then once I started conducting, it was that same thing. It was, okay, where are the Black conductors? Now, there was James DePriest, there was Calvin Simmons, Michael Morgan. But because I came to conducting so late, I didn't know that these people existed until much later. You know, I think about Tom Wilkins, who I'd only discovered maybe three three to five years ago. But when I was in my 20s, it was... Where are the conductors who look like me? I know there was Marin Alsop, but because I was very young, I wasn't thinking about who are the women conductors or or who are the big symphonies. I mean, I was immersed in this world for the first time, and I was just trying to understand what it was that
0: was going on in this world. The attraction was learning how to do this and being positively overwhelmed by the music that you were Mm -hmm. surrounded by. Exactly. So all of a sudden I wasn't really thinking about the the gender,
1: I guess, inequalities in music and the racial inequalities in music. That didn't come until much later.
0: So you finish with your conducting studies and now what? Now you got to earn a living. Mm hmm.
1: And that's the thing no one tells you. I was that young and dumb person who thought, okay, when I come out of grad school, oh, I'm gonna have a job in the field because I'm that good. They're gonna it be banging down my way. door. Exactly, it doesn't happen that way. you mm-hmm. know. So what I did actually um, was I started working at Loomis Chafee, which is a boarding school in um, Windsor, Connecticut. I worked there for four years while also trying to build a conducting career, which is very difficult. I was the orchestra director. I was the chamber music coach. I also taught violin lessons, did administrative work, and then I thought um, an introductory fundamentals music theory course. So I was doing everything while also guest conducting covering trying to watch as many rehearsals as possible you know building a name for myself which is very difficult to do because i don't know if you know much about the boarding school life but boarding school is very intensive and very immersive so they expect all of the faculty members to be a hundred percent um committed to the institution yeah it's 24 7. pretty much and my thing was You know, I can be maybe 12 hours dedicated because the rest of my life is dedicated to building this career Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. because I really want to conduct. Mm -hmm. And so you left Loomis at some point. I
1: I left Loomis in 2019. Um, And so the thing about working at a boarding school is that I would take conducting auditions. Um, but, you know, I would never advance to the, the second, the final round and, and be offered the position, which is completely fine. But it wasn't until 2019. Uh, it was a May, I believe, Robert Moody called me from Memphis Symphony. I was sitting in my office just about to teach class. And so Bob calls and he said, hey, you know, we have this job opening up at Memphis. Would, would you consider applying? I was like, Bob, just tell me what day I will buy that plane ticket and I will be there. How did he know you? Know? you? So I had met Bob prior in 2017 when the assistant conductor position was opening up and I applied and back then they would do phone interviews in addition to the live conducting interview. So I got to the phone interview round and we spoke over the phone and he was just such a nice sincere person. Um, I was not invited for a live interview, which is fine. But, you know, then I followed him on Facebook and vice versa. And we started to just kind of keep in touch. And he started following my career as I started doing more things in the field. And so um, Memphis currently has this initiative where we are really trying to diversify our orchestra in terms of staff, board members, players. And at the time, they wanted basically say an assistant conductor of color but they wanted an assistant conductor of color they Mm. just didn't want another white person so Mm -hmm. they yeah exactly so they really did the work and they reached out to i believe 100 players or excuse me 100 conductors um, of color and i was one of them and so i was one of four invited
0: well you know not for nothing as i said in the introduction it's not that you only were at loomis but you did other things you know assistant Mm -hmm. conductor with the St. Louis and Hartford symphonies and in mm-hmm. Chicago. So you had your street cred. It's not mm-hmm. just, it wasn't just Loomis. Loomis was, I'm guessing your constant full-time job. for all exactly. those years. Loomis, and then uh, Loomis allowed me to live comfortably, exactly. So did you feel like you died and went to heaven when you got that call from Mr. Moody? You know, I felt like
1: I died and went to heaven when Bob called me to tell me I got the job. Did you, I,
0: it was, did you go to Memphis to do your audition? Or it was I a, did. The, uh-huh. the
1: audition was, I think it was May 6th and May 7th or May 7th. But um, I remember I had a concert with Civic Orchestra on May 5th. The next day I flew out, arrived in Memphis, and the audition happened on a Monday, if I should say, because I don't remember the exact day. But I just remember it being this this kind of this very long, intense day. Um, and then ended up being two of us auditioning instead of the four, just for different circumstances. With the full orchestra? Full orchestra. yeah, we each got 45 minutes on the podium to go through various pieces. Um, there was also speaking portions, there were the interview portions. and you know, I just remember thinking, this job is mine because I was actually in Memphis in 2016 to assist the former music director, Mayan Chen. And I met a lot of people in the organization. And coming back in 2019, when people saw me, they're like, oh, my God, how are you doing? And they would give me hugs. And, they, you know, how, how's everything been? What you've been up to? And so to see that they remembered me.
0: To me, you spoke volumes. Sure, sure. When you say the city of Memphis, classical music isn't number one, is it?
1: I think we are most definitely a thriving symphony, especially right now during the times of COVID, you know? And the reason I say that is because we're still putting on concerts. We're still, we are still paying our musicians. We, st- we are still very busy. So you mean you're doing it virtually or, or you're being filmed? No, or? These, are, these are in-person concerts that we're doing. We had three in-person concerts in October, all sold out. I mean, we were reduced capacity, right. but still we were all sold out. Um, We're doing bi-weekly chamber music recitals that are in person. So, I mean, I feel as though we are thriving because other organizations have either gone black, they've canceled seasons until 2021, but we we have such a strong support system from this community and it's amazing.
0: Isn't that terrific? What does it mean to be an assistant conductor?
1: I think the best way to think of it is the understudy for the main role. Mm -hmm. You know, and so my music director is the main conductor of the Memphis Symphony but so I basically have to be his number two meaning I have to learn all of the music exactly as he learns it um, so that in case if he gets sick and cannot go on then I can jump up there and do it if he cannot make a function and I have to end up speaking then I have to know everything that he was going to talk about so that I can also deliver the same talking points and the same message to those people. Actually, this season, I will have my MSO concert debut in April. So that I have known about in advance. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, for last season, because I was brand new, I knew that I would be conducting most of the Pops concerts, that I would be conducting the holiday concert and the education concerts. But in terms of the main concert series, so the masterworks, um, and we also do a classic accents, I already know that, no, I'm not conducting those, but I'm just covering, which means to be the other understudy for those concerts.
0: Yeah. When you do this type of work, are you also a guest conductor somewhere else? Might you get a phone call from another symphony orchestra? So I have had those opportunities, but it's so difficult because I also conduct the Memphis Youth Symphony.
1: And, you know, when we were able to have in-person rehearsals with my kids, it was every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so usually when you get asked to come in and guest conduct, they want you Thursday through Sunday. And the thing about my kids is they want that consistency. Right. So it's really hard to be away constantly when you're conducting a youth group. Have your parents
0: ever seen you conduct?
1: They have not seen me conduct
0: in person, in person which, yeah.
1: <laughs> which, you know, like they they see me conduct all the time on YouTube, uh, which is, you know, fine. And, mm. and I'll send them little clips here and there. But I really want to fly them out someday to be like, here, this is what I do. Oh, because, right? you know, the thing about it is in Panama, like I'm famous. The Bovell name is famous because, mm-hmm. you know, in Panama, they've never seen a conductor of Hispanic descent basically. Sure. And so even, even my mom is like, you know, when I look at her on the video, I still can't believe that she's doing these things. Yeah. Does it ever give you pause as to what you represent? You know, I think it has recently because before it was very, just very much, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is conducting, which is making music, you know, but recently I've kind of discovered You know, little boys and little young boys and girls are looking at me and saying, oh, I can do those, too, or I can do that, too. And I can work with an orchestra and, you know, I I can be up on the stage and, and do all these different things. And I think people in the community are also looking at me to be like, oh, I've never seen someone who looks like me or I. I feel more relaxed now, knowing that I can come to a concert and see someone up there who looks just like me. Exactly. And so, you know, now I am starting to to stop and realize how important this job is and how much of an impact I have on my community. Yeah, you know,
0: I don't think it can be minimized. And and while it's not something that you might think about 24-7, it's a big deal because when I was, you know, doing some research about you as well as female conductors, okay, it's 2020 but you're still not ubiquitous.
1: Well, and it's and it's like that question that I always get, at least recently, oh, well, you know, what's it like to be a, a woman conductor? And I'm just like, I don't I never know how to answer that because I'm like, well, what's it like to put pants on? I mean, it's mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. it's no
1: different. I just I just am what I am, which is a musician
0: right. who happens
1: to conduct and who else, you know, who also happens to be black and Hispanic. So am I making too much of a big deal about this? oh never (laughs) no but the reason the and the reason i say that because it is true it is 2020 and you know when you think about it what minority musicians make up four percent of classical music in 2017 it was three percent and so you're like unbelievable it's 2020 and then you think about the the amount of women conductors in the field i can name on i can count on two hands But let's count the number of women conductors who have music directorships in the field. Oh, then that number significantly dwindles. You know, so I think those are the things that we need to start looking at. But I also think as you are doing, it's so important to bring awareness to these things, because I think it's also lack of education, which is why when people ask me, oh, why did I start taking violin lessons so late? It was lack of education. No one told my parents, your kid is is serious, so the next step is to take lessons. They thought... She's in public school. She's learning what she needs to learn. That's enough.
0: I'm curious. Is there any musical genre that you would like to conduct that you haven't? I want to be like one of those metal conductors. What kind? Metal, like metal music. Oh, God. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) Am I showing my age? Oh, dear. So uh, you think uh, like
1: how San Francisco did the Metallica concert?
0: Okay, OK, so
1: I want to be like the conductor who if Metallica has an orchestra behind them, I want to be the conductor conducting that music because I like I love the metal genre uh, and I listen to it constantly. And so that's one of my dreams to do. you probably make it happen. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like, who do I need to write to be like, hey, I would love to tour with you because I love your music.
0: Let's just make this happen. You're just a hell of a broad, Kalina, and, <laughs> and you're doing what you need to do for you, and and there's not a bitter bone in your body, from what I'm assessing.
1: One, I always attribute my going through depression. You know, as I like to say, I have truly been to hell and back. Okay, you know, and I and I have lived to tell about it. And the thing is like, I have no regrets for anything I've ever gone through. And I feel like going through that experience has made me stronger and has made me more resilient to everything I've endured since then. So I look at it and it's like every day I'm grateful, you know, and and there's, there's, there's no need to be bitter or angry about anything because yes, things happen, but that's life. And so the only thing I can do is just keep working hard.
0: What a great way to end. You know what I'm thinking also? We need to clone Kalina (laughs) Bovell. I don't know if the world can handle two of me. It's like, hold on here. (laughs) Well, I don't know. you certainly be a force to be reckoned with. This was terrific. I really can't thank you enough for sharing your life and your passion. It's very contagious.
1: Oh, thank you. And and, I mean, this has been an honor to be here and just like talking with you. So I really appreciate this.
0: And I thank you so much. Well, you have to keep us abreast of what happens in your musical world. And if there's... When you finally do that metal concert, you know, reach out to us and we'll do a part two. Oh my God. Yes, I will. Sounds like a plan. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.